Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that the U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut. If you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Welcome to the first degree of the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm here with Alexis Linkletter, and this is part two of two of our case about the Murdoch family. If you haven't listened to part one, you're going to be jumping into the middle of an insane story. So go back and listen to part one and join us here. Also, if you're listening on Patreon, you're listening right away. Just to let everybody know listening, if you want to listen to our two-parters, binge them right away. Join us over on Patreon. And we also have one full-length true crime episode every single week. Whew. <laughs> Honestly, you ran through that like a champ. Jack covered all of the important stuff, but she's right. Our Patreon is amazing and we're doing really incredible stuff over there. So like she said, besides getting instant gratification with these two parters, come over and learn about these other cases we're covering. Absolutely. So let's jump right in to part two. So let's turn on the lights and turn up your anxiety this could be you. So we still have our two first degrees from last week, Mandy Matney and Carolyn Mernick with us, and they'll be taking us through the conclusion of their story. They're the authors of Blood on Their Hands, a memoir following Mandy's journey as a reporter. She was working in South Carolina's Low Country, who found herself at the center of the Murdoch family crimes. She dealt with threats and her mental health was impacted as she uncovered the truth about one of the most powerful families in the area, with Alex Murdoch at the eye of the storm. Mandy's experience demonstrates how those investigating cases like these become immersed in them and part of the stories themselves. Things started to go south for the Murdoch family in 2019 after 19-year-old Paul caused the death of 19-year-old Mallory Beach in a tragic boat accident. And that's when the Murdoch family popped up on Mandy's radar after the newspaper she was working for assigned her the story. It started with a sneaking suspicion that Mallory's boat crash slang would be swept under the rug, which did seem to be happening. Mallory's death led to a massive civil lawsuit filed by the Beach family. And it was through this lawsuit that many of Alex Murdaugh's secrets were brought to light. That lawsuit revealed that all was not well within the Murdaugh family financials. Alex Murdaugh was addicted to opioids, and he was also misappropriating and embezzling client funds. Two years later, Maggie Murdaugh and a then-22-year-old Paul Murdaugh were murdered at their home in 2021. 
We left off last week with the botched attempted suicide or assisted suicide of Alex Murdaugh. So as everything that we talked about before unfolded, Mandy was in the throes of one of the most intense reporting situations of her entire life, and the stakes were high. And not long after Maggie and Paul's murder, what appeared to be a botched assisted suicide attempt occurred, one involving Alex Murdaugh and his handyman, and this was orchestrated by no other than Alex Murdaugh himself. The twists and turns in this case showed no signs of stopping. What else could be coming down the pipeline? Could this family be connected to more deaths? And what could be the fate of the remaining Murdoch family members? What was the role of Alex Murdoch's other son, Buster, in all of this at all? What else could be coming down the pipeline? There are just so many questions. Were the Murdoch's trying to cover up the killing of Mallory Beach? Is that true? Did Alex Murdoch murder his wife and son, or was it someone else? And why did he stage an attempted assisted suicide? What was he hiding? And why did the truth about this case captivate the nation? And why did it become the object of Mandy's obsession? While all of this was going on, Mandy was pulling on every thread she could to learn about her subjects. She probed the personal, professional, and financial life of Alex Murdaugh and the Murdaugh family at large. Probing into a family with this much power and influence comes with inherent risk. And her close proximity to the story and gaining the trust of key sources meant that she became closely entangled in the case in a way she didn't expect. Really, when I started exposing what was going on with the lawsuit involving Mallory Beach and Alex Murdoch, he was really trying to hide his problems with his finances through that lawsuit. So the more that I was writing about the Murdochs and putting a harsh spotlight on them, even before the murders, I started to get lots and lots of emails would come in saying, I'm worried about you. These people are dangerous. It wasn't great. And I'm not at all saying like I'm a main character of this story, but in journalism, it's just really hard when you don't talk about your mental health, talk about yourself. I didn't want to ignore those things that I was going through as my podcast kind of blew up and I was just facing all of these things that I wasn't used to at all, which is threats to my personal safety, trolls that watched every single move that I ever did online, trolls that would go after very random details of my life and make Reddit pages about. Like I wasn't used to any of that, but it's in my nature to call that stuff out and to be open about it and talk about it because journalism, if you're doing it right, A, you're going to get involved in the story no matter what, and B, it's going to take a toll on your mental health because the stuff that we do is very heavy. So what was the true story behind Alex Murdoch's suicide attempt? Curtis Eddie Smith, the alleged paid trigger man, was brought in to be questioned by police. Maybe he could shed light on this strange twist in the story. So Eddie told detectives that he met Alex on the road the morning Alex called 911. He told the police that yes, Alex had asked Eddie to shoot him. And Eddie said that he flatly refused to do it. According to Eddie, Alex wanted to end his life to avoid suspicion in the double murder of his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul. The two men ultimately ended up in a physical struggle over Alex's gun, but Eddie claims that he wasn't shot at all. Eddie said that to try to essentially scare some sense into Alex in real time on the side of the road, that he shot the gun into the air, but no shot actually hit Alex. No bullet made contact with him at all. So clearly Alex wasn't harmed in this incident, but... That didn't mean that Eddie was off the hook here. He was actually charged with multiple offenses, 
including assisted suicide, conspiracy, and money laundering, after detectives discovered he'd been helping Alex commit fraud by cashing checks Alex had written, including one for around $24,000 that was written just days before the double murder of Maggie and Paul occurred. So obviously, Eddie is someone that Alex works with pretty mm-hmm. regularly. He's helping him launder money. He's he's obviously a henchman of sorts, it seems. Yeah. And Alex's lie about staging the suicide attempt did little to garner the sympathy from the public that he'd really hoped for. Instead, investigators now had even more reason to suspect that he was involved in the murders of Maggie and Paul. And we asked Mandy and Carolyn why they thought Alex would go to such extremes to orchestrate his own killing. There's a quote in the book where one of Mandy's sources says, no one commits suicide in that family. I feel like there's probably some psychology around that, but that was something that I can imagine being true for that sort of privileged culture. And so to me also, it seemed like this sort of distraction staged sympathy thing. It's all pretty pathetic. It was all pretty pathetic indeed. I do think it's just interesting that this guy seems to go to pretty extreme measures whenever he feels the walls sort of closing in. It's like, I got to create a diversion, a smoke screen. Like I got to put the focus somewhere else. Yeah. Not thinking about what the consequences would be of such things. Like this guy is a very, very stupid criminal, obviously a narcissist and like probably is acting in the moment and not really thinking anything through. Well, I think too, he is a stupid criminal, a million percent, but I think he just believes this guy is in his fifties. Okay. This is the first time he's ever been in trouble. Just imagine what he did the in his earlier phase of life. God knows. Yeah. Well, he obviously got this attitude that he would get away with this shit by getting away with shit. Yeah, exactly. You know? So like, cause this isn't something anyone thinks they could really get away with, not a rational person, but this person has probably been shown over and over again that he gets slaps on the wrist and doesn't ever have to pay any real consequences. Until now. Until now. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program and it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, 
that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree 50 and use code degree 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. As Mandy continued to dig into the hidden corners of Alex Murdaugh's life, whispers emerged about whether the Murdaugh family was somehow connected to the shocking death of someone else. A 19-year-old nursing student named Stephen Smith, who had been killed in 2015. So suddenly, every move this family had ever made was being put under the microscope, and perhaps rightfully so. So here's what we know about this situation. At around 4 a.m. years prior, on July 8th, 2015, Stephen was found lying dead on a rural Hampton County road, and his car was actually found three miles away. So naturally, these circumstances are perplexing. Like, how does that happen? The police ultimately determined that Stephen had suffered extreme head trauma, as well as cuts to his upper body, and his death was ultimately ruled as a hit and run, which again is weird if his body is so far away from his car. Like, how does that even happen? But whatever. The only way it could happen, and this is just a hypothetical, it's like is if he was, his car broke down and he was walking on the side of the road. And, or like trying to hitchhike or something like that. Yeah, But I don't no, know. no evidence, like nothing about that has been made public. Like, so that does, it just, the circumstances are really fishy. Yeah, very fishy. And it's unclear what steps were actually taken to zero in on the perpetrator of his death. And either way, the case wasn't solved for months. And eventually that became years. So it had been four years since Stephen was killed. But now at the time, given all of the crimes connected to the Murdoch family, there was renewed interest in Stephen's case. Right. After all, Mandy had basically proved this family's ability to wield their power, influence the police, and cover things up. So maybe that's what happened in Stephen's case. That's certainly what she would have been wondering. So as a result, only two weeks after Maggie and Paul's slayings, law enforcement took a second look at Stephen's killing. In public statements, they said their decision to do this was tied to, quote, evidence uncovered during the double murder investigation. But we don't know specifically what that is. However, Alex Murdaugh's older son, Buster, is believed to have been mentioned in the original Highway Patrol report. And this is local rumor mill churning stuff because they're churning out one salacious detail after the next. And for now, 
I have to make this abundantly clear. These are only rumors. Buster has not been charged with anything. So as far as we know, Buster could be an innocent victim with no ties to anything nefarious. But the rumors. So apparently, Stephen was openly gay and had attended Wade Hampton High School with Buster. There was some speculation that the pair had somehow been involved in a secret romantic or sexual relationship. The assertion was then that their relationship could have soured, which could have led to Stephen's murder. Again, lots of hypotheticals, lots of rumors here, and no evidence that this actually occurred. And on top of that, Howie Patrol felt that Stephen had actually died as a result of foul play, given that his injuries weren't consistent with being struck by a vehicle. And like we said earlier, Stephen was not found close to his car at all. And it's unclear what the police make of that because the records haven't been made public and the case is still open. Apparently, law enforcement was also armed with the additional context of knowing that the Murdaughs actively try to distance themselves from local scandals that could damage their reputation. So when you think about it, the original findings about Stephen's death being ruled a hit and run, that could have been part of a cover-up, hypothetically. Because if they re-examine the case and then they find that, no, they actually believe it's a hit and run is foul play, right? That's a right. that's a criminal act. But the assertion and suggestion here is that foul play meaning even more, maybe staging, maybe something even deeper going on here. That makes sense if they're having new findings when they re-examine the case. Well, and yeah, and then also that it didn't seem like he was hit by a car. It seemed like something else. But like right. and that even points more to a cover-up because like that should be a very easy thing to determine if your injuries that resulted in death were from a car or not. Being hit by a car causes catastrophic injuries. It's not going to be like a one blow to the head, right? And so, something looking like a stab wound or something like that. Like it's yes. very different. So it is, it is very, very, very suspicious. So naturally, Mandy also took a very close look at Stephen's case as well. There's Stephen Smith. I know his mother very well. She's become a huge part of my life in the past four years. And Sandy will be the first to admit that their family has no power. They have no money and no one cared about his death. And I had heard rumors when I was investigating Mallory's death in 2019 that people kept saying, look into Stephen's death. I heard that the Murdochs had something to do with that. They got the highway patrol file and hand counted the amount of times that the Murdoch name was mentioned. And it was more than 40 throughout the investigation file. How does a kid, a 19-year-old nursing student, end up dead in a rural community? And there was like two or three articles written about it, hardly anything. No one seemed to be doing anything. And I realized that it's really hard when you take a microscope to a lot of police work to actually understand if it's corruption or incompetence. A lot of times it's corruption and a lot of times it's just our system is very lazy, especially when it's somebody like Steven that they have no incentive to solve it. But there was just a lot of weird things that went on with that investigation, which is still ongoing and Buster denied all involvement. And we're still waiting for the results of that investigation. But that was another thing that was always in the back of my mind. Naturally, in developing close relationships with sources like Stephen's mother, there's a lot of emotional heaviness that accumulates in this process. In that summer, I was on the phone with sources all of the time, and that's not only just being on the phone with 
people, but a lot of them are victims with emotional baggage to this. And you kind of have to carry that weight and you have to really focus on their emotions and how all of this is impacting them too. And that was just a lot to carry with the investigation alone and trying to figure out what was going on and trying to figure out enough to tell the story of the podcast. At this stage, there's nothing that's been made public tying Buster or any of the Murdoch's to Stephen's killing or cover up in this case. There's definitely something sketchy about the determinations made, but there's nothing else we can really say because the evidence and documents haven't been made available yet. But if Buster isn't involved, then he's a guy who has essentially lost his entire family and also has to deal with the crippling weight of people believing you killed another young man. So if he's innocent, it's a real shame at what he's going through. For now, we have to believe that Buster is a victim and innocent until proven guilty. In my story, Buster is a very minor character. He's a son of a very powerful family, and while he still has lots of connections and probably money too, he's still a victim at the end of the day. He lost his mother and he lost his brother, and I, I'm not in the crowd of, like, let's all point our fingers at Buster and let's all assume Buster is uh, a part of this too. I haven't seen any evidence showing that he's a good person or showing that he's done something horrible. So I'm just kind of in the leave him alone scenario. Stephen's death raised questions about the integrity of the Low Country's law enforcement investigations. Whether Buster was connected or not, Stephen's case seemed to be handled with negligence at the very least. Right. And guess what? Soon Mandy stumbled upon yet another sudden death connected to the Murdoch family. Gloria Satterfield worked as a housekeeper to the Murdoch family for many years. Per the Associated Press, Gloria worked for them for more than two decades. She did everything, including babysitting for the Murdoch's sons and whatever else the family asked of her. She was a mother to two sons as well. Right, and during an interview, Gloria's sister told Dateline she worked hard at what she did and she loved what she did. She took honor in the job she did. Gloria's sister also said that they all viewed the Murdaughs as extended family because that's how Gloria saw them. Gloria died unexpectedly at the age of 57 on February 26 of 2018, three and a half weeks after she fell down the brick stairs outside the Murdaugh home, apparently after tripping over the family dogs. Here's how it happened per reporting by the AP. Gloria allegedly fell up, quote unquote, some stairs in the Murdaugh family home and hit her head, causing a brain hemorrhage and she was hospitalized for 21 days after the fall, and the hope was that she would recover, but she didn't. Gloria's manner of death was listed as natural causes, despite sustaining a head injury and broken ribs. Curiously, no autopsy was conducted. And following Gloria's death, Alex submitted an insurance claim, so the payout for Gloria's death could go to her two sons. And Following their mother's death, the two sons had no idea an insurance claim had been submitted, nor that they were supposed to benefit from it should there be a payout. And the claim stated that Gloria wasn't technically working when she fell, blaming the dogs for the incident, as opposed to it being like a work-related incident that caused her death, which would have protected Alex Murdoch to some degree from further wrongful death litigation, possibly. Mm-hmm. Later, Gloria's son's attorney stated that Alex had encouraged them to use his friend as their lawyer to sue him and get a wrongful death settlement after her death. But if they're using a friend of Alex's, that would mean Alex has some form of control, and that's a big conflict of interest. 
When the money was paid out in early 2019 to Alex, instead of giving it to Gloria's sons, Alex kept all $4.3 million of it. In September of 2021, SLED opened an investigation into the theft of Gloria's settlement money. Turns out, Alex received a $4.3 million insurance settlement as a result of Gloria's death, and $2.765 million was supposed to go to her sons, but none of that happened. Gloria Satterfield's death, who was their housekeeper, she was another one that I started hearing about. That investigation is also still ongoing, but that investigation led to finding all of these other financial crimes attached to Alex Murdoch. And Gloria is another example of somebody that there was no investigation into her death before 2021 or anything like that. She didn't have a lot of money. She worked for $10 an hour for the Murdoch family, unfortunately, and raised her children. And they did not treat her in the way that they should have. Meanwhile, Alex was charged with fraud and conspiracy in his earlier attempted staged murder slash suicide attempt. At the time, Alex had checked himself into rehab, probably in an effort to evade the consequences of all of his scheming. And on October 14th, Alex was arrested at his rehab and charged with two felony counts of obtaining property under false pretenses. And in a shocking move by the court, he was denied bond. Alex was not released following his arrest, and the police had taken a very close look at the double murder of Paul and Maggie by this point. And Alex had some serious explaining to do. The police wanted to know... For one, why Alex had changed his clothes the night of the murder. So it turns out Paul had taken a video of his dad from earlier that evening. And in that video, his dad was wearing a pair of khaki dress pants and a blue button-down collared shirt. But when the police arrived following Alex's 911 call, after he found the bodies, he was wearing something else. He was later seen that night talking to police in a clean white t-shirt and a pair of shorts. So when did he change and why did he change? And forensically, Alex's t-shirt also placed him at the scene, as it apparently had flecks of high-velocity blood spatter on the shirt. So a case against him was certainly building for the murderer. Although the blood spatter evidence on his shirt would eventually become a point of contention within the trial, and there's a lot of controversy about blood spatter evidence in general and what that means, but I don't think it really means Alex is innocent here, we'll elaborate on all of that later. Meanwhile, investigators had also learned that on the night of the murders, Alex had told his mother's caretaker to tell law enforcement that he'd been at his parents' house for longer than he actually had. Not a good move. Shelly Smith was a caregiver for Murdaugh's mother, who had been living with Alzheimer's. She said that Alex Murdaugh was at the home for about 20 minutes the night of Maggie and Paul's murders. She said days later that Alex Murdaugh approached her and said that he was there for 30 to 40 minutes, which was not the case. Right. And there was another piece of evidence found at the home of Alex Murdaugh's mother, which definitely raised some eyebrows. So a blue rain jacket, which had been found balled up in a closet on the second floor of his mom's house. So that was found. What was it doing there? They tested it, and law enforcement found that it was actually covered in gunshot residue. Okay, so what's the implication here? Did he have that over his T-shirt? to protect from any blood spatter getting on his T-shirt? Is that how gunshot residue got on it? These would have been all the questions law enforcement was asking. So then on November 17th, Alex was charged with 27 additional offenses, including money laundering, computer crimes, and forgery. And this was followed by more than 20 additional charges in December then January of 2022, with the alleged total of money stolen was at now $8.5 million. So homie's in a big, big hole. He's dealing with white-collar crimes. He's dealing potentially with murder charges and more. 
Four months later, the most damning piece of evidence against Alex and the double murder investigation emerged and blew the case wide open. Paul's cell phone had been locked and the bodies were discovered. When detectives were finally able to access Paul's phone, they found a video taken at 8.44 p.m. the night of the slayings, which was intended for a friend of Paul's but was never sent. Right, and in this video, Paul is filming his friend's dog, who he was actually babysitting this dog for the friend at the time. And so he was going to send a video of his friend's dog to his friend. But the only things you can see in this video are the dog itself and Paul's feet. But you can hear three voices in the background. And these voices belong to Paul, Maggie, and Alex. Hey, he's got birds in his mouth! Bubba. Hey, Bubba. It's a guinea. It's a chicken. Alex can be clearly heard calling out to the family's Labrador, Bubba. Both Paul and Maggie's phones locked at 8.49 p.m. and they were never heard from again. The video definitively proved that not only had Alex lied about his movements that night, but he was at the kennels just minutes before his wife and son were gunned down. As prosecutors continued building their case against Alex, in June of 2022, both he and his cousin Eddie were charged with conspiracy and possessing, manufacturing, or distributing narcotics. So Eddie, who's the handyman who helped him with this assisted suicide attempt, clearly they're doing something with drug distribution. He was also helping with his money laundering. Lots of shit going on with cousin Eddie. So despite people in the community trying to intimidate and deter Mandy from writing about all of this stuff she's uncovering. I mean, and she really helped move this case along. She knew that she had to keep going because this case was only getting crazier. One of the main challenges we had, and Carolyn can speak to this too, was the way that we framed it. It was more about the lead up to him getting charged. And the trial is just a little piece of it not the main crescendo. We had to, week by week, figure out what we were going to do for this chapter, et cetera, et cetera. When we started working together, things were still happening that ended up appearing at the end of the book. So this very fast timeline for some points. And, you know, often with writing, you want to be able to have some period of reflection after the events have happened to understand your ideas and figure out what we want to say. And in in some parts of the book, that just wasn't possible. On July 12th, 2022, Alex was disbarred by the state Supreme Court. And then two days later, he was charged with two counts of murder. As expected, he pleaded not guilty and was once again denied bond. Even more charges came in December of 2022 when Alex was charged with tax evasion, having defrauded multiple people out of a total of $8.8 million. In the lead up to the trial, Mandy felt especially vindicated when she heard the audio of phone calls Alex had with his son Buster while he was in jail. My big light bulb moment, and I talk about this in the book, was we FOIA'd for his jailhouse phone calls in 2022, and we listened to hundreds of them. And I don't remember him one time asking about the investigation, asking if he was worried that his son Buster was safe, and he did not seem to be concerned or sad about Maggie and Paul's loss. And listening to those phone calls and listening to what a narcissist he is manipulating the situation all the time, I had a moment that was like, oh my God, I think he absolutely did it. It's a horrible thing to actually believe that a man can murder his wife and son in cold blood like that. 
but all signs were pointing in that direction. During all of this, Mandy knew that her reporting in this complex, tangled story had to remain centered on the victims and not lose sight of who was really important here. It was natural for me to put the victims first and at the center of my reporting. And that was something early on Carolyn and I are really related to in that true crime gets wrong because a lot of true crime is told not about the victims, not by the victims' families. I can tell a lot of times when I'm listening to a true crime podcast and they didn't talk to anyone within the realm of the victims because you just naturally want to stick up for them and you naturally are a lot more supportive in your writing. These victims are re-victimized not only by the system that's not giving them justice, but by just random people on the internet that just want to pick them apart for no reason. My book is the same way. I would never want to upset a victim. I would never want to write anything that would make them disrespect me or lose their trust in me. It was a relationship I developed with a lot of these people, and I really value their respect. If your child is struggling in school, then IXL is right for your family. IXL is an online learning program for kids that covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. It's no wonder it's used in 95% of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Plus, a month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com 20. Visit IXL.com 20 to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. In January 2023, Alex's trail began in Colton County. National TV networks carried wall-to-wall coverage of the trial. It was a media spectacle in the truest sense of the phrase. And the state argued that he shot Paul and Maggie around 8.50 p.m., using two guns from the family collection to make it appear that there were two shooters, citing the motivation as the acts of a man desperate to cover up financial turmoil, given the pending lawsuit from the boat crash and the open investigation into Alex misappropriating millions of dollars. But the defense was painting Alex as a grieving, widowed, man who was just down on his luck and kept getting one, you know, kick to the side after the next. He's just a victim. That's their argument. Totally. So Mandy couldn't be in court, but she still had a prime position in being able to publish updates as they happened in real time. My coworker and I, Liz, who we worked together since 2019, we really put our heads together before the trial and we're really planning our coverage and planning what we were going to do every day, making several podcasts a week, writing for an online platform and covering the trial live through Twitter and YouTube. And we could not be in the courtroom and also have our laptops at the same time. That was the judge's ruling. So without my laptop, I was like, I'm going to be useless there in the courtroom. So I didn't go in the courtroom, and I'm glad I didn't. We talk about this a little in the epilogue. 
that Mandy's style of coverage for the trial represents really kind of a new model of what online and digital and audio and YouTube journalism can look like because she couldn't have her laptop in the courtroom. She had the opportunity to be a much more nimble and quicker with watching the live stream and they were communicating with their subscriber audience kind of in real time analysis and discussion. And it was bringing in and connecting with a new kind of audience that isn't that isn't sort of what court TV is doing. Against advice, Alex took the stand in his own defense, and he argued that the killings of his wife and son were committed by someone intent on revenge, not by him. He admitted to lying to investigators about his movements on the night in question, agreeing he was at the kennels. It was going to be hard for him to get out of that one considering the audio and video evidence in Paul's phone, right? So he had to kind of own up to that one. But his explanation for his lies and deception was his 20-year opioid addiction, telling the court, Oh, what a tangled web we weave. Quoting poetry was not much help to Alex because on March 2nd, 2023, he was found guilty on both counts of murder and two counts of possession of a weapon during a crime. The following day, he received two consecutive life sentences. And despite the judge describing him as not credible or believable, Alex filed a notice to appeal the convictions. By this point, the case and Mandy's report had captivated the attention from people all over the globe. Alex Murdaugh and his bizarre behavior was like a sad car crash that nobody could look away from. Right, and by this point, after all that had been unearthed, no one was particularly surprised at the verdict. Alex Murdaugh seemed like a guilty, desperate, narcissistic man. And that all seems true and good, right? He's convicted, you know, order is restored from chaos, but... In this case, there are still so many lingering questions that weren't addressed during the trial, like why he would kill Maggie and Paul, his wife and youngest son. And Mandy told us what she thinks and how she sees the case moving forward. I don't think he was necessarily resentful. Alex screwed up a lot. And I honestly don't think it was about legacy either. A lot of people thought that He was mad at Paul because the legacy of the Murdoch family came crashing down. I really think it's because the boat crash created a ginormous problem, which was a lawsuit exposing his finances. And at at the same time, he was in major financial trouble. And we've seen this with motives over and over again in true crime. Men murder to get out of their problems. And when the world is crashing down on them, that's when a lot of violent men, unfortunately, sometimes kill their families. And I think in his crazy narcissist mind, he thought that everybody would look away from everything else as soon as his wife and son were murdered and feel sorry for him and never question if he did it or not. And also everything else would go away. There are also lingering questions about who else was involved in aspects of Alex Murdoch's financial frauds. And while Alex has maintained his innocence, a lot of questions have been raised about other mysterious events around the Murdoch family. There was clearly a giant criminal operation that involved a lot of powerful people. And I think this investigation is going to go on for a long time. And I have to be in it because I live here in South Carolina and I care about making a difference. It was a big step that Alex Murdoch was convicted of these crimes, but I think that the justice system really looks at itself and changes. Carolyn takes a broader view of the story. 
She admires Mandy's tenacity, immersive style of reporting, and contribution to the wider discourse around the Murdaws. I give as little thought to inside the killer's mind as possible in a way. I just wanted to keep focus on the larger ideas of this story. That's what I think is much more interesting and has a lot more depth. I think male killers and their, can I say, fucked up psychology, you know, we can read about that everywhere. But the stories that we don't hear as often are stories about the enablers and the people that put themselves on the line to connect with victims and really create change on a local level and all the things that Mandy did and getting into these larger themes that I think recur in different ways. Early on, we realized that this book is about Mandy's journey and it's about the power of local journalism and what it looks like to really make an impact in that way and the impact that that kind of reporting can make. And so to my mind, what happened to Alex Murdoch in the courtroom was never the interesting thing, even though that's what most of mainstream media focused on. That's not what this book is. Carolyn knows that it's Mandy's unrelenting work ethic that has empowered the public to become more informed about how to obtain information that holds people in prominent positions accountable. We know that Mandy has become a very successful podcaster, but that also she built a community that actually is educating themselves about how to create change in their own community, both by either sending FOIA requests or looking at the district attorneys or the judges that you elect in your own county and why that matters. And you can turn this sort of attention to other cases and start to notice when things don't feel fair. And that's very, very powerful. And certain tentacles of this case remain in limbo, like the death of Stephen Smith, a case in which Mandy is still committed to finding the truth. And then there's the insurance settlement stemming from the death of Gloria Satterfield that should have gone to her sons. In June of 2022, Alex admitted that he owed $4.3 million to Gloria's sons, which included the initial settlement and lawyer's fees. Then in May of 2023, Alex's lawyers filed court documents admitting that he invented this story about dogs causing Gloria's fall in order to get insurance payout. So what is the truth about what happened to Gloria? So in this admission, they stated, quote, no dogs were involved in the fall of Gloria Satterfield on February 2nd, 2018. After Ms. Satterfield's death, defendant Alex Murdoch invented Ms. Satterfield's purported statement that dogs caused her to fall to force his insurers to make a settlement payment. Andy stated that she was not on the property to perform work. So he's admitting this, which is kind of a different tune. Yeah. Is he just like, okay, I might as well just air it all out. And also he doesn't have this money to pay it to these sons. So yeah, that's sad. It's like a moot point. Four years after Gloria died, her family has expressed interest in further exploring the circumstances of her death. Her family plans to exhume her body to explore the possibility of foul play. And there are also questions about where all that's transpired leaves Buster Murdaugh. I can't imagine losing your brother and mother and then your father to prison and your father gets convicted of their crimes. It's just a thing that few people have to deal with in their lifetime, and it's just so horrible. So Buster's kind of a, uh, he's a mystery to a lot of people. The Stephen Smith case is still unsolved, and that's number one priority. I believe that that case can be solved, and I will continue to not only look for answers in that and investigate it and look at the case file for any clues again and again, but 
advocating to get people to speak up about it and keeping the pressure on law enforcement and reminding law enforcement that we're still sticking around for Stephen's story and we're not just going to pack up and leave. Mandy was first assigned to this case to report on a boat crash, one that killed Mallory Beach. She never expected the snowball to grow the way it had. And as she pulled back one layer after the next, she found herself in the center of this story, ultimately becoming part of it. It's really hard because traditional journalism will tell you a journalist's job is to stay out of the story. You have to take a step back and always present both sides. But what I found out that I don't think is talked about enough is that if you're a good journalist, you're going to make an impact on the story that you are writing no matter what. You want to spark change because of your stories. You don't want people to just sit there and you don't want to expose horrific corruption and then nobody does anything about it. And so I think that journalists and media need to do a better job of celebrating our role and be forthcoming about like, hey, I exposed a lot of this and a lot of y'all wouldn't know about this if it wasn't for me. Because a lot of times we'd kind of get written out of the narrative. At the time of this recording, Alex Murdaugh has pleaded guilty to 22 counts of federal financial fraud and money laundering and is awaiting sentencing. He's also filed a motion for a new murder trial citing jury tampering. Of course, the investigation into Stephen Smith's death, which is now being investigated as a homicide, is continuing with his body being exhumed for a second autopsy. And thankfully for Mallory Beach's family, their $15 million wrongful death lawsuit has finally been settled. One thing we know for sure is that Mandy's work is far from over in this case. She plans on being there for every step of the way as new developments unfold both inside and outside of the courtroom. We're left wondering how cases like that of Alex Murdaugh have the ability to become embedded in the cultural zeitgeist as this case has. Alex Murdaugh became the subject of punchlines on SNL. Lifetime and Tubi made fictionalized movies about his downfall and the victims in this case. In this case, inadvertently became the center of Mandy's world. She created a podcast where she detailed her findings that shot up to number one on the Apple charts, which is a very difficult thing to do. She became part of this story, as detailed in her new book, Blood on Their Hands. Her ongoing mission is to expose the power inherent in the good old boy network in the low country and maintain scrutiny into how the privileged have manipulated the authorities and behind the scenes machinations for their own gain for way too long. Mandy continues to report on developments in real time in her hit podcast, which is now called True Sunlight. So definitely go check that out if you want an even deeper dive than what we've provided here. Mandy and Carolyn's book, Blood on Their Hands, is now available wherever books are sold. And I read it. It's amazing. I highly recommend. And to get an even deeper look into what she experienced and sort of just the minutiae of the exploitation of power in this case, highly recommend it. You can get it wherever books are sold.
And obviously a huge, huge thank you to Mandy and Carolyn. And to pre-order their new book about the Murdoch case entitled Blood on Their Hands, head over to Mandy's website, lunasharkmedia.com. It's out on November 14th, and we'll also put a link in today's show notes. And if you are listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us, hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all of the time. Join our Patreon if you're looking for new true crime content. And stick around tomorrow. We'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by myself and Gemma Harris. Sources for this episode are The Island Packet, Fitz News, Live 5 News, The Post and Courier, The U.S. Attorney's Office, The South Carolina Attorney General, NBC News, The Guardian, ABC News, The New York Times, CBS News, The Washington Post, Court Documents, The Associated Press, CNN, The New Yorker, The Wall Street Journal, and NPR. And as always, our first three guests is always our largest source. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.